0: Ancestors' diets were rich in the essential vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients needed for optimal health. But today, thanks to declining soil quality, a growing toxic burden, and other challenges in the modern world, most of us are not getting enough of these critical nutrients. That's why I created Adapt Naturals. It's a supplement line based on the principles of evolutionary biology and modern research that closes the nutrient gap so you can feel and perform your best. Unlike most supplements, which use cheap synthetic ingredients your body can't absorb, our products are made with clinician-grade, bioavailable ingredients that make a real and noticeable difference. We have a full range of products, from the most advanced multivitamin and phytonutrient formula on the market, to a blend of eight organic superfood mushrooms, including reishi, chaga, and lion's mane, to a highly absorbable liquid D3K2 dropper. Our newest product is BioVail Omega Plus, a blend of ultra-pure fish oil and the most bioavailable forms of curcumin and black seed oil in a single two soft gel serving. Fish oil, curcumin, and black seed oil are renowned for their powerful health benefits, but until now, they've only been available in separate products, which means higher cost and a lot of pills. BioVail Omega Plus gives you a natural and effective way to improve joint and muscle health, boost exercise performance and recovery, elevate mood and mental clarity, and regulate immune function. Head over to adaptnaturals.com, that's A-D-A-P-T naturals.com, to learn more and start feeling and performing your best. Hey everyone, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. I've been using superfood mushrooms in my clinical practice for over 15 years. As many of you know, I was originally trained as an herbalist and acupuncturist, so I have a lot of experience with these compounds. They have a long history of use in traditional Chinese medicine, up to 7,000 years, uh, according to some accounts. And they're among the first substances that I learned to use clinically Uh, when I was treating patients way back in the student clinic. So I have a deep respect for and a lot of experience with these incredible compounds. And that's why I'm really excited to welcome my guest, Jeff Chilton, on the show today. He studied ethnomycology at the University of Washington in the late 60s. And in the early 70s, he was already working on commercial mushroom farms and diving deep into the world of mycology. He's been involved in the research and development of shiitake, oyster, and noki mushrooms, uh, which resulted in the earliest U.S. fresh shiitake sales way back in 1978. And then he's been very active and and a strong advocate for mushrooms and ethnomycology in the years since then. He's done perhaps more than anybody else uh, that I can think of to make these uh, amazing uh, superfoods available for, for consumption in the US. And today he's working hard to correct some of the myths and misconceptions that are becoming more prevalent as mushrooms get popular in the supplement space. So we're gonna be covering what some of those myths and misconceptions are and correcting them in this show. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, mushrooms as food and medicine, Uh, their nutritional and overall health benefits, the history of mushroom cultivation, and some of the product and quality issues with mushroom supplements as this market continues to expand. Uh, This is really important for anyone who is currently taking mushroom supplement or drinking mushroom coffee or really using any food or health product with mushrooms because As you'll find out in this show, there's a lot of deception, both unintentional and intentional, uh, out there. And it's really important that you educate yourself so that you know that you're getting what you think you're getting when you choose a mushroom product. So I really enjoyed this interview. I think you will as well. Let's dive in. Jeff Chilton, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I've really been looking forward to this.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Chris. I'm looking forward to it as well.
0: So, uh, of all the people involved in this field, I think you're you're one of the OGs, as 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 we like to say at this point. Um, you've been working with mushrooms, I think, since the 1960s. If if I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So you we're talking about 60 years of experience in the field, in lots of different capacities. So what what drew you to this in the first place? How did you get interested in mushrooms?
1: Well, you know, if you're in growing up in the Pacific Northwest, where the where we're very famous for rain, <laughs> we have the perfect climate for mushrooms up here. So early on, as a child, I was able to get out and do mushrooming with uh, friends of uh, or, or fathers of my friends because my dad wasn't into mushrooming at all. And then I went to the University of Washington um, in 1965, and while I was there, my my field of study was anthropology, but University of Washington was one of the few universities in the United States that actually had a mycology department, if you can imagine that. So I was able to study some mycology there. And, you know, I actually turned my anthropological studies into the study of the use of mushrooms for food, for medicine, and for uh, shamanic purposes. And, And look, Chris, the 60s, you know, we were experimenting with a lot of shamanic plants and mushrooms were one of them. In fact, we had, we had uh, psilocybin mushrooms growing on the campus of the University of Washington. So, so it was really quite a a interesting time. And uh, that was kind of what started me off uh, in this field.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, there's so many directions we could go in this conversation. And I I do think I want to have you back to explore psilocybin with some of the, you know, uh, traditional uses shamanically in, in traditional cultures, but also some of the new research that's being published. And there's, as we were chatting before the show, there's a lot of great developments happening now where we're starting to really better understand, at least from a modern research perspective, what the potential of uh, psilocybin and other mushroom compounds are. However, as, as fascinating as that conversation is, and I, I would love to have it, I want to spend, I want to kind of focus on the basics in this conversation because uh, as you and I have discussed, there's there's a lot of misunderstanding about mushrooms and their use as you know therapeutically Especially as mushrooms get more popular uh, as supplements, and we see a proliferation of mushroom coffees, and you know mushrooms used in all of these different contexts. So, I want to first, you know, just chat a little bit about history of the medicinal use of mushrooms. Um, you know, my background is in Chinese medicine. I know they've been used for seven thousand years, if not longer. Some of the earliest medical texts talk about mushrooms uh, and the use of them in medical contexts. And then I want to go a little deeper into just the structure. What, what is a mushroom? What's the difference between mushroom and mycelium? What's happening now in the marketplace with so-called mushroom supplements uh, that actually contain mycelium? Just so we can help people understand what they should be looking for if they're considering uh, mushrooms therapeutically. So- absolutely,
1: absolutely.
0: Because yeah. I think that's the, that's the key thing here. If, if, if people take away nothing else from this, uh, that they understand that, I think we will have,
1: uh, I think, accomplished <laughs> something useful, right? Oh, I, I totally agree. That, that's a subject that we have to cover for sure because, you know, everybody is sort of like, oh, yeah, mushrooms, they do this, they do that. But, uh, you know, what actually you're taking is, is probably the most important thing of all. Right.
0: Okay. Well, let's start with um, just why mushroom, why would someone even want to consider using mushrooms therapeutically as a, as a form of medicine? What, you know, what do we know historically about this?
1: Well, you know what, uh, there's a major reason for this, and this is what I like to focus on, and that is immunological potentiation. And all mushrooms have that ability. It's just that some have a greater ability to do that than others. And those have been identified as what we call medicinal mushrooms. Now I'm kind of using functional mushrooms a little more. So there are, are key species that can do that. But you know immunological potentiation, and it's all primarily based around the beta-glucan content of mushrooms. And, and you can get that whether you are actually eating mushrooms or using them as, as supplements. But what that means is that these beta-glucans are, um, as you consume them, are basically hitting receptor sites that we have. And that's kind of the interesting thing to me. We actually have receptor sites for these beta-glucans. So they hit the receptor sites, and then they will activate immune cells, whether that's um, NK cells, T cells, uh, macrophages. And in a sense, they will be in the background maybe maybe you don't really need them maybe you don't need that but they're there especially if you're consuming mushrooms in a regular way and they can essentially help you in so many different ways i mean our immune system as we have certainly learned in the last three years with covid and all how important that is so really that's the primary function of mushrooms as i see them and there's certainly a lot of we can go through the specifics of each mushroom but the basis for all of that are the beta glucans and their activity as an immunological potentiator and that's why we focus so much on testing beta glucans and guaranteeing beta glucans in our products because to me if it doesn't have uh, beta glucans then it's not actually a mushroom product in that sense yeah
0: yeah, let's dive into that a little bit more. So, for those that are not familiar, beta glucan is a, a unique type of soluble fiber, um, but it it behaves differently, as Jeff said, than most other types of soluble fiber in that it activates all of these receptor sites. And it seems to me that there's there's some interesting connections and functions with with beta glucan. So you mentioned the their ability to activate receptor sites, and and they also seem to have a beneficial impact on the gut microbiota. And we know that the gut microbiome is connected to pretty much every system and tissue in the body. Now, there's the gut-brain axis, there's the gut-skin axis, there's the gut-lung axis, there's even the gut-eye axis, the gut-mouth axis, so when you when you start to look at the benefits of mushrooms, it can only, almost be puzzling because they seem to affect so many different systems in the body. and my theory, which is, you know, I think there's some research to support, is that is that perhaps the beta glucans' effect on the gut and the gut flora mediate that impact to some degree. That the mushrooms' ability to affect so many different systems. What do you think about that? Well,
1: well, you you know what, and and yeah, I would agree. And one of the things about mushrooms is, look, they're they're. High, relatively high in protein, 15 to 40%. Um, they're high in carbohydrates. And those carbohydrates, what's interesting about them, they're non-starch carbohydrates. Mushrooms don't contain starch. They they actually have a small amount of glycogen, like humans do as their storage carbohydrate. But the carbohydrates they have are slow-acting carbohydrates, like mannitol, uh, trehalose. These things, and, and that's kind of what in a way we're all looking for is uh, uh low glycemic index foods where you're not getting this like starch, this spike uh, of glucose. No, it's very slow acting. And one of the reasons for that is that mushrooms are very high in fiber and a major part of that fiber is the beta glucan. That's one of the reasons why I'm always telling people before you even supplement, put mushrooms into your diet that is so important. And they have shown in, in these very large studies out in Asia that populations that consume mushrooms live longer than those that don't. And so for me, number one, start eating mushrooms. I eat mushrooms three or four times a week. Uh, different species. We We've got more mushroom species in the marketplace than we've ever had right now you can get fresh shiitake where you are you can probably get maitake uh possibly lion's mane
0: lion's mane i've seen
1: yeah and and, uh oyster mushrooms i mean it's an amazing time for mushrooms and i I look at mushrooms as I i call them the forgotten food or the missing dietary link that's really in the west i think what we lack in our diet so before you even supplement eat mushrooms i mean They also have high amounts of potassium, phosphorus, B vitamins, B1, 2, and 3, um, low fat. The fat is mostly um, non-saturated. It's linoleic acid. So it's just a great food. And you know, the funny thing is, Chris, is that when I went to work at the mushroom farm in 1973, the very big farm, we were growing 2 million pounds of button mushrooms a year, classical nutritionists said, mushrooms had no food value (laughs) well really well the reason the reason they said that is because they're low in calories so you know which now we think this is a good thing it's not necessarily a bad thing but that was what they said so it took a long time and a number of scientists doing a lot of studies on the nutritional benefits of mushrooms for that to change people just looked at them as a sort of a garnish they're not really a, a food or you know everybody puts them in the vegetable category right because that's where they sit in the marketplace but so it's really taken time for mushrooms to reach the point where now people are like okay yeah i mean you mentioned it earlier the funny thing is is that our customers put mushrooms into everything now i mean our mushroom extracts they'll put it into chocolate they'll put it into drinks you you name it people are very innovative these days and they're putting mushrooms into everything which which i think is really interesting uh the key thing for me is having the right amount in that so you're not just fairy dusting because that's what a lot of companies will do we'll just like put a little bit in so they can say mushroom on the label i love that term fairy
0: dusting it's there's a lot that's one of the 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 dirty tricks in the supplement business that people do um, and i've been trying to educate our audience on that for many years and my patients as well, because it's, it's, it's hard for the average consumer, you know, who doesn't, they don't have a medical background. They don't understand how to evaluate these claims through no
1: fault of their own. You know, that's not their training. Well, well, and, and look, you get into a, a like, for example, a, a natural foods market, and you see all the supplements on the shelf and it's just like, where do you go with that? There's a 20 different brands of mushroom products there. And you're just like, where and what and of course the 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 person that's helping you there who's been educated by one of those companies will point you right to that product whether it's good or bad because they don't necessarily know either they're just they're just going along with whatever the sales rep has told them
0: exactly yeah so we'll we'll get further into that i want to linger a little bit on on beta-glucan and other healing compounds in mushrooms so Another interesting connection to point out is um, this: this field of uh, this is perhaps the longest word in the English language, and definitely one of the longest terms I studied in medicine, which is psychoneuroimmunoendocrinology. <laughs> that's that's wow. all, all, all one word: psychoneuroimmunoendocrinology. And wow. it was coined it was coined to um, highlight and recognize the intimate connection. Between the immune system, the nervous system, the endocrine system, and the brain and nervous system. And so, you know, going back to what you said about beta glucan and, and the primary benefit of mushroom being beta glucan, and then the primary function of beta glucan being immune activation, it strikes me that you know it's not just activating the immune system in isolation from the rest of the body it's also then the immune system is communicating with the endocrine system and the nervous system and the endocrine system which of course governs hormone production so that may be another reason why we see such a broad range of benefits with mushrooms
1: yeah and you know a lot of people call them adaptogens and in that sense you could probably describe them that way um so many and i just look at you know when you look at health Chris, I like to think of it, and this is kind of a, a Chinese way too, and it's just balance. The, you know, if, if you have illness, you're out of balance. How do we bring you back into balance? And that's the the whole idea with an adaptogenic plant or mushroom. And, and you know, I, I just think the whole Chinese philosophy is so sophisticated and they've had so many thousands of years to perfect it. I mean, I just love all that. I'm I'm reading a book right now on Taoism, and I'm just like God. It just resonates with me so much. And you know, and and look, I don't really understand TCM. I'm not a practitioner. I have friends that are into TCM. That's sort of an area for me that I, I've learned a little bit about it. But you know, my focus has always been on uh, growing the mushrooms, extracting them, um, producing them in a way that is active and can be real medicine, if you want to say that. But, you know, I also am totally into the idea that food is medicine, and that's our foundation. Absolutely. With a poor foundation, nothing, no supplements going to help you out of that or your lifestyle. I mean, it's just, and that's what I love about mushrooms. They're food. <laughs> so yep. put them into your diet again, because that's uh functional medicine right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I
0: want to talk a little bit more about some of the other compounds in mushrooms before we dive into the structure of, of what a mushroom actually is. Um, and these are, these are the Uh, terpenes, triterpenoids. um, There are now, you know, some amino acids that are getting attention like L-ergothionine, which is uh, prevalent in some mushrooms. What's your sense of these uh, compounds that are not beta-glucans, but have been, you know, more recently identified and certainly like in the study of another powerful plant medicine, cannabis, it's pretty well recognized that terpenes and the different terpene profiles and different strains of cannabis plants may be at least partially responsible for their health benefits and the varying effects that uh, those different strains have. Do you think something similar is going on in, with mushrooms where the terpene profile is impacting their
1: health health effects? Oh, oh, oh yes, especially, you know, reishi mushroom what sets us apart from everything else is it and and this is interesting because we analyze and we measure we discovered that reishi and turkey tail have the highest level of beta glucans they have uh 50 uh beta glucan where and the thing about reishi what sets it apart from all the other mushrooms is it has a very high level of triterpenoids and these triterpenoids they're, they're bitter they uh, um, act uh, um, as blood purifiers. They help the liver function. There's also other evidence of them, you know, in terms of cancer systems having some effect there as well. But they're very, very important, and that's why I think that reishi has been so highly revered uh, in China. I was at a conference again, a derma conference in China in the 1990s, and. There was a TCM doctor there. I was talking to him about the reishi, and he said it was the most important herb that he uses for the liver. And he's, he he used as much as thirty grams uh, as a dose of dried mushrooms in in whatever extracted. Form that he might have used, but thirty up to thirty grams of it uh, for his patients. In terms of any sort of serious liver dysfunction, the the other mushroom that has uh, levels of triterpenes are um, turkey tail, also chaga has triterpenoids. And it's interesting; these triterpenes are primarily in the uh, polypores, and those are mushrooms that do not have gills; they have pores on the underside. They are mostly inedible because they are hard as wood, they grow off of wood. I remember walking around natural foods expo in Los Angeles in the early nineties with a reishi mushroom in my hand. And I would say, Hey, you know, I, do you know anything about mushrooms? People look at that thing and they pick it up and they go, well, you know, is this real? (laughs) Did you just carve this or something? I mean, it was just literally nobody had any idea of what was going on there. And so, so yes, the, the triterpenes are very important and that to me, considering that these specific mushrooms like turkey tail or reishi are so highly revered and so well used, that is a uh, one of the reasons. And, and, you know, what's interesting is that reishi was one of the first mushrooms that Namex, my company, analyzed in the 90s, because... Actually, at that time, it was like, okay, these are compounds that we can actually get to. So I had a, a project at the University of British Columbia where we uh, extracted uh, five different triterpenoids from reishi mushroom, the important ones to give us pure standards. And we were actually measuring the triterpenoids in our reishi extracts back in the 90s. And we set a standard for reishi back there, which was 4% triterpenoids and 12.5% uh, at the time twelve and a half half percent polysaccharide which was kind of interesting <laughs> and that's a whole nother story polysaccharide beta-glucans are polysaccharides but polysaccharides are not necessarily beta-glucans so um you have to be careful there but yeah the triterpenoids are super important cool yeah that's i'm fascinated by that i uh for, for those
0: that are listening that the terpenes are you know if you're not familiar with them you actually are, if you've ever smelled lavender, uh, or, for example, a cannabis plant. The aroma uh, that is produced by that is is largely due to the terpene profile. Yeah, so, or, or
1: the pitch that's coming out of those conifers in in our part of the world.
0: Right. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about ergothione, because this one's pretty interesting. You mentioned before how we actually have receptors for beta-glucan, and I I find that fascinating because it suggests that mushrooms have have played a pretty important role from an ancestral perspective. They've actually, you know, we've evolved receptors to them, uh, which, you know, the body is nothing if not efficient when it comes to evolution. So we would not have receptors for something preserved for this long if they didn't play some kind of very important role. And with ergothionine, um, I think ergothionine was initially thought not to have any important physiological functions, but then scientists discovered a specialized transporter called the ergo transporter, or ETT, that absorbs and moves it right into our cells. And I know uh, that Dr. Bruce Ames has actually argued that ergothionine maybe may should be classified as a vitamin for this reason it 's that important
1: yeah, 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 I know there a lot of people that are saying that, and I, 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 I think i 'd have to agree and and the interesting thing about ergothionine is that they found it in specific parts of our body that are known for being under high oxidative stress, so they 're found in the kidneys, the liver uh, our semen, interestingly enough, but the point is is that we don't produce it. We have to get it externally. And what's fascinating is mushrooms have some of the highest levels of ergothionine. And and I've looked at all the different species and, and we do ergothionine tests on every single lot that we produce of our mushroom products. But there's one particular mushroom out there that we've identified that has the highest levels of ergothionine of all mushrooms it's called the golden oyster mushroom and and we are now growing that and we've been growing it for a number of years and we've been analyzing it and you know uh, we're bringing it to the market ergothionine as in a mushroom powder nothing more and to me I love this, Chris. You know, it's like, if I can bring a compound like that, and it's just from the mushroom alone, nothing else, there's no processing. It's just from this mushroom species. To me, that is so exciting. But the the big issue, of course, is, okay, we, we've we got it in there. Now, now, what do we have to do? Do we know it's going to be there the same every time? Well, one of the things you have to do is stability studies. How long is it going to last? So that takes time, but we are introducing that product this fall as a new product in our product line. And, and to me, um, ergothionine is just one of those compounds that for whatever reason the natural products industry just hasn't quite embraced because people have been trying to introduce it since about 2012. And and it's been out there, but there's just not been enough talk about it. And, And now I think, you know, it's being studied, really studied deeply. And I suspect as they continue, I didn't even know what you were talking about, that there's actually a transporter of that uh, I I haven't looked at it for a while, so I didn't even know that. I mean, the the main uh, scientist that's working with this is uh, Dr. Holloway Halloway out in uh, Singapore, and he's published so much information. The other one that's really been somebody promoting it a lot has been Dr. Uh, Bielman at Penn State University, and he's published a lot of stuff as well. So I think it's time has come and we're going to be putting it out there. A- and. The funny thing is is that we're doing it at the same time that we're bringing out a mushroom powder that has got high levels of vitamin D. Yeah. And and look, it's just a mushroom powder. I don't know if you've looked into the way they process vitamin D whether it's D2 from yeast or D3 from lanolin, the processing is ugly. <laughs> it's yeah. just you know it's kind of like processed food there are better
0: or more, worse ways that that happens of course uh oh. it's, it's a supplement industry you got to know where the bodies are buried uh basically <laughs> to put yeah. it oh, oh but but <laughs> yeah. the er- er- ergothionine is uh i just want to mention for f- uh, folks that some of the other mushrooms that are higher in ergothionine are, are uh, lion's mane is is qu- quite close in my understanding oyster and shiitake and the ones that are low are, you know, reishi and turkey tail. So reishi and turkey tail are super high in beta-glucan, right? And then also in terpenes, but then low in ergothionine. And then you have, like, shiitake and lion's mane, which are lower in beta-glucan. That, not low, but lower on a relative basis. Yes, and then higher yes. in ergothionine. So it's, a, it's interesting how they all combine in a formula. I mean, this is in TCM, I was trained to it's pretty rare in TCM that compounds are used singly. They sometimes are, but they're often combined in formulas. And this, I think, what we're talking about now provides some insight into why that can be useful and helpful is you have these complementary effects where you have mushrooms that are high in some beneficial compounds, lower in others, and then other mushrooms that are higher in those compounds that the one, you know, that the others in the formula are lower in, and then they prob- there's probably even synergistic effects that we don't fully understand when they come I think together. that's a good point.
1: Yeah, absolutely um, a good point. And, and, and look, just to, just to be clear, uh, since we, we have uh, been analyzing all of our species, and we have about 10 different species that we sell for probably five years, we have five years worth of data and not just our extracts, but the mushrooms themselves, we have analyzed. So we know the the levels that should be in there. Now, now, now look this this golden oyster. Just to give you an idea, it is um, it comes in max at somewhere around uh, seven milligrams per gram. Shiitake is normally, I mean, it's one of the higher ones, but it's two milligrams per gram. Yeah. So significantly lower lower than that, and again, this golden oyster—it's not like a normal oyster mushroom. A nor- normal oyster mushroom will be down lower than that one. That one, this one, is just for whatever reason. And, and and you know, this is one of the things that we have to always be looking at within the different species. Is in fact, okay? There's some significant differences in the compounds that manufacture, and to take it a level deeper. Not just that, but within the species itself, a, a mushroom grown, let's say, in Oregon versus a mushroom grown off in California can also exhibit very uh, significant differences in the compounds that it produces. So what we always have to be thinking about since we cultivate mushrooms, we don't wildcraft them, is that cultivar that we're using one that produces high The what we we like is just kind of the highest levels of these active compounds that's what we're looking for and i saw that in 2001 in a paper that was presented by a scientist in taiwan he had 12 different cultivars of reishi mushroom and it went from one percent to 12 percent of triterpenoids Hmm.
0: yeah I've been prescribing superfood mushrooms to my patients for more than 15 years. I've seen their incredible benefits firsthand from boosting energy and vitality, to sharpening focus and attention, to strengthening and balancing immune function. So when I created my own supplement line, Adapt Naturals, I knew a mushroom formula would be among the first products I created. And that's how BioVale Myco was born. It's a blend of eight of the best-researched and most potent mushroom extracts, including lion's mane, reishi, chaga, and cordyceps. And unlike most formulas on the market, it's made with 100% organic, real mushrooms, not mycelium grown in a lab. With BioVail Myco, you get the remarkable benefits of the best mushrooms in one convenient daily formula. Head over to adaptnaturals.com to learn more and level up your health with these powerful and natural superfoods. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I'm a super active guy. Depending on the time of year, I'm either skiing, mountain biking, hiking, backpacking, surfing, or lifting weights on most days of the week. I also live in a really dry climate at high elevation. For these reasons, I pay a lot of attention to hydration. I've learned the hard way what happens when I get dehydrated, and I know how important hydration is to overall health. But hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. This is where Element comes in. It's a combination of electrolytes like sodium, potassium, and magnesium, in easy to use individual packets that you just add right to your water bottle. And unlike most electrolyte products on the market, Element is free of sugar and artificial junk. I drink Element every day and it's made a huge difference in how I feel. Even with my training and profession, I don't think I realized how often I was dehydrated before I made Element part of my daily routine. If you'd like to try it, the folks at Element have an exclusive offer for my podcast listeners. You can get a free sample pack with one of each of the eight flavors Element sells when you purchase any Element product. This is perfect for anyone who wants to try all of the flavors or who wants to introduce a friend to Element. Just go to cresserco slash Element, that's L-M-N-T, to place an order and take advantage of this offer. Yeah, really fascinating. We could linger forever here. I want to get on to what is a mushroom <laughs> and <laughs> what is mycelium, fun, what is fungi overall, and really just help people to understand these, these basic but often misunderstood factors into uh, mushroom medicine.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because as a mushroom grower, it's like, okay, uh, give me the seeds and then I'll start to grow my mushrooms. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, mushrooms don't have seeds. What do I use as to start my mushroom crop? Well, the whole thing starts from spores. Mushrooms don't have seeds. They have spores. Uh, When these spores germinate, they germinate into a very fine thread-like filament. When multiple filaments come together and fuse, those filaments will uh, form a network. That network is called mycelium. Mycelium, interestingly enough, is the actual body of this organism, So, the, but the mycelium we normally never see because it's underground, it's embedded in wood, so we don't normally think so much about the mycelium when conditions are right, like for us in uh, the fall. Uh, It rains, the temperature goes down, mushrooms need high humidity to grow. They don't like dry conditions. So the mushroom forms, it starts at a small little hyphal knot, then a primordia, then it moves through the different stages to where it becomes a mature mushroom on the underside are gills, or in some cases pores. That's where the spores are produced. Now we have a completion of this life cycle. The important thing to understand here is that you know, with supplements, we want to know what the plant part is, because that makes a big difference in terms of what the compounds are in that particular plant. Is it root? Is it leaf? Is it flower? In this case, with uh, this fungus, it's like we've got three parts. We've got a spore, which is the reproductive structure. We've got mycelium, which is the vegetative structure the body, and then we have the mushroom, which is the fruit body. So we have these three plant parts, and each one of those has been used for medicinal purposes. The spore, uh, reishi spores, are now used in China. I'm not sure I agree with that use, but it's become very popular. But uh, mycelium in China is grown in huge tanks of liquid, uh, and they can grow pure mycelium. Mushrooms, as you know, have been used in their mushroom form for thousands of years. So those are the three major things. Uh, Right now, of course, uh, when you get out the marketplace, it's either mushroom or it could be the mycelium. But that's where some of the issues come in is that some people will grow out the mycelium on sterilized grain. Uh, after 30 to 50 days, they'll harvest that, all of it, grain, mycelium, and all. They'll dry it, they'll grind it to a powder, and then they will sell it with the grain. And the issue is that it's mostly grain with small amounts of mycelium. And the worst part about it is that They often will not tell you that, and on that front panel, they'll have a picture of a mushroom, and they'll say reishi mushroom, shiitake mushroom, when in fact, what they're giving you is mostly grain starch. Again, mushrooms don't have any starch, and why would you want grain? (laughs) You're looking for a mushroom product, but here are all of these what we call myceliated grain. And for those people who sort of just want to get a picture of that, think of tempeh. You're familiar with tempeh, I'm sure. Well, tempeh is cooked soybeans with fungal mycelium grown on it. So if you're eating tempeh, you're eating fungal mycelium. Tempeh is a food, but most of that tempeh, if you're slicing into it, you'll see it's mostly soybean. And this is what they're selling. Uh, and calling mushroom, and they're making all sorts of claims for it, even though it's mostly starch. They're claiming, oh, it's got the beta-glucan. It's got all the compounds that you're looking for from a mushroom. It doesn't.
0: Yeah. So what are you know the, some of the biggest differences between mycelium and real mushrooms? I imagine the beta-glucan content will differ. The terpene profile will be different. You mentioned that the mycelium will often contain significant amounts of, of starch, like alpha-glucan alpha or other starch rather than yep. beta-glucan, which is the, what we know activates the, or potentiates the immune system. Uh, are those the primary differences, and what kinds of uh, differences do you expect to
1: see in, in the content of those, of those active compounds? Mycelium is actually a relatively simple structure. What it does is it secretes enzymes that will break down organic matter. It's very important for recycling organic matter, Um, but it's a simple structure. When you actually grow it on its own and you analyze it, you'll find a couple of things. One, it's absolutely lower in beta-glucans, and number two, for example, with reishi, mycelium has very very small to next to no triterpenoids i mean and they don't have the major triterpenoids they have a couple other relatively obscure triterpenoids in there in very very small quantities so if you were to take reishi mycelium if it was pure and just taste it it would not have anywhere uh, any of those bitter compounds that we're used to in a reishi mushroom so so really then when we analyze any of these other species it's pretty much the same but the point really is that you know in China when they grow mycelium in large tanks it's pure 100% mycelium it's still not as good as the mushroom but at least it's pure mycelium with these products that are manufactured in the United States you are getting mostly grain starch and we know that because we've tested these products for their beta glucans for their alpha glucans which are the starches we've tested them for ergosterol ergosterol is really interesting because the grain industry uses the ergosterol test on stored grain because what you're worried about when your grain is in the silos and stored is is there a fungus in there is there aspergillus, which is producing aflatoxins. God, they are fearful of that. So they're testing for the presence of ergosterol as an indicator of fungal presence. So ergosterol is a great test that we use, and these products have about a tenth of the ergosterol that a mushroom has. We're also testing them for ergothionine, which they have absolutely no ergothionine in them so they really lack all the compounds and again the reason is simply that there's not a lot of mycelium in those products there's not a lot of fungal tissue and it's mostly grain because you cannot separate that grain it's growing on from the mycelium
0: yeah that's a really important distinction and i think one that people don't really understand uh, why do people use mycelium? You know, people, someone might be listening to this and, and thinking, okay, if if we know so much about that, that real mushrooms are more beneficial, that's what traditional cultures have used for thousands of years. That's what most scientific studies that have uh, elucidated the benefits of mushrooms have used. Why are people growing and selling mycelium as and calling it mushrooms?
1: It, it's actually kind of, it's actually pretty simple is that I can grow mushrooms in the United States and I can sell them fresh and I can make a profit. I can make a business out of it. There's tons of mushroom businesses out there selling fresh mushrooms. Now, as an example, if if I get $5 a pound for my fresh mushrooms from whoever wants to buy it, great. Mushrooms are 90% water. The supplement industry, we use dried powders in the supplement industry. So you have to dry that out. Now that five dollars for that pound of mushrooms dried out, now you have to get fifty dollars for that same pound. So the economics simply don't work. And so what they've done, and this is kind of the interesting part, is that in the night in, in the in terms of making mushrooms spawn, again, we're using live mycelium as what we use to grow mushrooms. In terms of making that live mycelium, you have to put it on a carrier material. And in the 30s, they figured out, hey, if we put that live mycelium on grain, well, geez, a, a gallon jar of grain will have three, 4,000 different kernels every single one of those kernels with mycelium on it acts like a seed so you can take those kernels and you can spread them throughout your substrate and it will grow very quickly so what they've done is they've taken this process of manufacturing mushroom spawn which is mycelium grown on grain and which is very cheap to produce all you do is sterilize grain, inoculate it in a lab, it grows out, you dry it, you grind it, you sell it. Simple. Mushroom growing. God, mushroom growing is not easy. I like to say it, tell people every mushroom you've ever eaten has been harvested by hand. Can you imagine every mushroom you're picking by hand? Um, that's the bottleneck in mushroom growing. So the economics do not work, but Growing mycelium on grain, which should be just grain spawn, used to inoculate actually a, a substrate to grow mushrooms. They just take that, dry it, grind it to a powder, and sell it. And the worst part about it, Chris, is they they actually call it mushroom at times.
0: Right. So let's talk about that. You know, I've of course been a witness to a peripheral development with botanical medicine. You know, over the many years watching new guidance be issued by the FDA and just consumer awareness increasing about uh, herbs and botanicals, it seems to me, and I think you uh, and Namex have spoken about this at length, that the we're in a kind of Wild West phase with mushrooms where the FDA has not provided similar guidance. There's nothing that's stopping a company that's selling mycelium from calling it mushrooms, and, and this is really responsible for the confusion in the marketplace, that there are no guidelines or restrictions on who, what mushroom actually means on a supplement
1: label. But that's right, and, and you know what's interesting about that is that FDA does have a compliance document from 1976 which says you cannot call a product with mycelium call or insinuate that it is mushroom. That's an actual FDA compliance document. But what the issue is, is that FDA is more concerned about, God, did this product cause damage? Did it kill anybody? Um, Is that meat full of E. coli, this is where they're focused. They're not focused on something like this, but the point is, is that the industry has gotten too big you have to come in and set some guidelines here. And we just produced a citizen petition and submitted it to FDA that said, you have to step in and you have to define the terminology. And we have to be specific about what's being sold here because as this moves and goes forward and grows, you know, more companies get in and start to sell these products. We there's just a there's a new company that just got into this business, selling mycelium on grain. Brand new, big factory, amazing uh, company. And if you go to their website, all they talk about, Chris, is mushroom, mushroom, mush. Look at we're growing our mushroom. It's like I'm looking at what you're growing. I see a bag of grain, and you're saying that's a mushroom. And that's what will continue to happen unless this gets stopped early on. Go ahead and sell your product. I I don't care, but label it properly. That's the issue, label it properly. You're creating tremendous um, confusion in the marketplace. And not only that, Chris, can you imagine somebody wanting a mushroom product and they're, they're buying a product and it turns out to be mostly starch? That is, in my opinion, I consider that to be pure adulteration pure and simple that's what's going on yeah and
0: I, I i'm glad to see some movement here it seems that you know i'm seeing more articles podcasts you i know you're out there beating this drum and several other people so so it's changing but it, i i think it this is an area where um regulation can be can be helpful and important i mean we do it with food we do it with lots of other medicinal compounds it just makes sense to me that this will eventually happen with mushrooms so that people can see what they're getting clearly especially because as you've you've established they're not identical they're not interchangeable (laughs) they're not from from a health perspective
1: well well yeah and and, you know it's like people are sort of like well it's mushroom or mycelium it's not mushroom or mycelium it's like mushroom or this mycelium growing on Grain, the substrate. which is nothing yeah. but starch and that's really the issue here if you want to sell your mycelium on grain fine label it properly let people know what you're selling and and the interesting part is those companies will never measure anything in their products they do not measure beta glucans because there are none they don't measure ergothionine ergosterol triterpenoids they do not do that they'll say we have those in there but they won't show you that they've actually measured for them.
0: Yeah, that's super important. I want to talk a little bit more about what's important in terms of sourcing mushrooms. Uh, Obviously, since they're food and they're grown, the question of pesticides and herbicides and other chemicals is very important. And I know that Namex sources organic mushrooms from China now when when people hear china they freak out and in, in 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 some cases this is justified i mean there have been certainly lots of situations where uh, you know f- uh, it's been discovered that food products or other uh, i mean coming in from in my industry which is medicinal herbs and botanicals you know there are some very shady Uh, herbal products that come out of China that are contaminated with heavy metals and lots of other stuff. I spent many years educating my patients uh, about that and certainly not saying don't buy anything that comes out of China because at the same time, there are also extremely high quality uh, herbal and botanical products coming out of China. And, you know, it's, it's of course ridiculous. China is a very, very big country <laughs> with a lot going on. It's ridiculous to to apply a kind of monolithic, you know, heuristic to the entire country as a whole. But uh, talk a little bit about, first of all, why it's important to source organic mushrooms. And second of all, your longstanding uh, involvement in China. I think you were involved, you, you were instrumental in setting up the first organic mushroom farm or one of the first certified organic mushroom farms there and, and you know, what you've learned over the years about uh, sourcing organic mushrooms from China?
1: Well, look, um, whether it's grown in China or anywhere else, we all need to be vigilant about what's in the products that we consume. I mean, good God, uh, United States and Canada pour millions of tons of chemicals on all of our food. So really it's not necessarily where it's grown. It is where it's grown, but it's not the countries, so to speak. Uh, and Namix was, was formed in 1989. I've been organically certified since 1992. I went to, I traveled all through China in the nineties because I realized I cannot grow mushrooms in North America economically enough to sell as supplements. I I first went to China in 1989 I traveled through the 90s in 1997 I took OCIA, one of the largest organic certifiers in the US with me, we had the first the very first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China. 1997, we started getting organically certified mushrooms in about 2000. uh, And all of those products are certified by European certifiers, whether it was German or French certifiers. So they come in and they visit the farms. Now, the point is, and a lot of people say, oh, organic, you know. Well, yeah, I, I totally get it because there's drift. You never really know. So every single batch every single batch that we produce of our products. We're testing it for heavy metals. You you can't literally sell, I mean, as a raw material, we can't sell to another company without the heavy metals meeting the spec. Uh, now it's the same with pesticides. We have to to uh, test for a whole raft of different pesticides. It's uh, USP 561 that we have to adhere to. So we test for pesticides. We do a full panel of micros on it. Everyone is uh, uh, salmonella, E. coli, all of the, the different microbes that you would be looking for. We do that before the product even comes out of China. And these are tested over there by international labs. China's got all the standard international labs over there. So it's tested there. Then it comes to us, to our US warehouse. We get a sample. It gets tested again. So we're testing every single product two times to make sure it meets the standards. You know, it's interesting because, a lot of people think, oh yeah, the supplement industry is not regulated. Well, it is highly regulated. It's just that there are some companies out there that will skirt around it and and so on. But no, it's, it's highly regulated. We meet those standards. And as a raw material supplier, most bigger companies that purchase from us, the first thing they do is they qualify us it takes a while for them to qualify us. And if they do their proper due diligence, and we really want them to do this, is they will do their own testing. A lot of companies don't, but no, do your own testing. We'll even send them to labs, for example, that run beta-glucan tests or or uh, ergosterol, something like that. But no, they they got labs where they can do heavy metals or pesticides or all of that, but we, we encourage that. And, and I, I think, Last year, our lab uh, expenditure was somewhere around three hundred thousand dollars. We do a little bit of testing in house. We will test for the microbiological aspect of them, but we can't do heavy metals, uh, pesticides. That takes a much more expensive machine, so we send it all out to third-party labs. So, no, it's super important to me. All our mushrooms are grown back in the mountains, beautiful areas, far away from the ind- God. Can you imagine um, consuming anything that's grown within, I don't know, 10 miles of some of these petrochemical factories or something like that? It's like, I I like to say, well, do you want to eat uh, vegetables grown down there on the Gulf Coast of the United States, uh, Louisiana, Texas, those areas? Well, no, of course you don't. So that's the important part. And we pay very, very uh, close attention to that because we want our products to meet all of those standards. It's it's super important.
0: Yeah. So so important and really not often happening. So uh Jeff, thank you so much for this interview. It's been amazing. We've learned a lot. And uh, I just want people to know who are watching and listening, NAMEX is our supplier for our product BioVelMico from Adapt Naturals. Uh, I I did a ton of research, as everybody knows I do with this kind of thing, and NAMEX was by far, I felt, uh, the best option in terms of providing the highest quality raw material, real mushrooms, organic, grown on natural substrates, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of in a lab on, uh, you know, purified cereal grains. Or what I understand, in some cases, it's even on like uh, sawdust and and other materials uh, they that, that can, that can be worse than purified grains and I you know I just I've been using mushrooms for so long I have such deep respect for their potency and and power uh, as medicines and and functional foods if you will that uh, when I created a product I knew that I wanted it to be exactly what <laughs> we know it can be you know when you use the highest quality raw materials so Uh, Jeff, thank you for being such such an advocate and pioneer in this space. I really appreciate your contribution and everything you've done for this field and would definitely love to have you back in the future to talk a little bit more about Another type of mushroom medicine, you know, psilocybin and some of the other compounds in these these potent plant medicines, and what we're learning about them, we'll we'll save that for another episode.
1: Yeah, that 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 just fits right into my uh, philosophy, which is I'm I'm kind of going back to the future, Chris.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's cyclical, isn't it? We we move in
1: these in these
0: cycles. We tend to think it's linear, but. We discover we rediscover we iterate we learn we revise and hopefully we we uh, our, our knowledge and awareness grows over time so yeah
1: yeah and I really appreciate talking to you it's been it's been fun and yeah I certainly look forward to another conversation because it's a very very big area and there's so many different paths to take
0: great well thanks everyone for listening keep sending your questions to chrisresser.com slash podcast question we'll see you next time. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscressor.com podcastquestion You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast. So it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.